But yet we saw last week how you could take the Ten Commandments and put them positively that the law equals love, the way God wants us to love. Last week I also mentioned that there were some hints of tensions between the Gentile and Jewish Christians in the church at Rome. Well, today we're talking directly about differences and about tensions and disagreements and, lo- and how it is that we can love others well that we disagree with. Now, I've chosen uh, for today for our verses that we're going to read to be from the translation called The Message, which, if you're used to other translations, may seem rather informal, but I chose it because of two words that it does not use. And I'll explain about those two words in a little bit. And just as another note, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter today in the sermon, chapter 14 of Romans, but we're only going to be reading together the first nine verses. So follow along with me as I read Romans 14, verses 1 to 9. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might be well convinced that he can eat anything on the table. While another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much alike, is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian... Eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So we're talking today about differences of opinion and disagreeing with others. I remember some years ago helping Ron Bossom teach a class on Sunday evenings as as our church was preparing to birth a church from within our church. And a couple of the class sessions that we had were on personality types. Everybody completed a personality profile, and the people enjoyed that. And we talked about the different kinds of personalities and what they looked like. And then Ron explained how, based on different personalities, a husband and a wife could look at the same situation and have different views of that situation. How two people at work could look at the same situation and have different ideas of what to do. 
And what was neat for me is that I could see in people's eyes the understanding come on. In fact, some, some of the people said, you know what? My spouse and I just had a difference of opinion last week, and now I see how it's tied to our personalities. Or somebody said, you know, now I understand why I thought my boss was totally wrong as we talked about a situation. So it is, it is important for us to remember that as people, we have different views on different topics, on topics, and we have differences of opinion for different reasons. We're not all the same. Not only do we have different personalities, but we also have different experiences. So what I'd like to do today is make two broad applications from the verses. First, talking about uh, differences, general differences of opinion or differences in belief. Now, this could be on things like politics, sports, food, the coronavirus, how it's being handled. I mean, basically almost anything that we, that we encounter as we deal with other people. And then the second is what the verses in particular in the chapter speak to, and that is biblical differences. So the two issues that we're going to see in, in the whole chapter are food offered to idols and the observance of days. And in here we're talking about the understanding and applying the Bible directly to these topics that are, are connected to our faith in God. Now for both of these applications, if the Bible declares something to be sin, like stealing, then that just kind of takes it off the table. It is not a valid option. It's not an option that you should be holding. God calls it sin, and it should not be done. Let's talk about general differences of opinion. And I'm going to say, on the one hand, it might seem like I'm countering, contradicting myself. This applies to topics that we say normally are not religious, yet at the same time, let me say that the Bible speaks to all of life, either directly by command or by principle. So there's no part of life that falls outside of God's rule, outside of God's law and his direction for us. Another thing to remember is that God made us to make sense of life, that we are meaning makers, meaning assigners. And it's fun sometimes to watch little children because you can see them when they encounter something new, trying to connect it somehow to what they already know. And we do that unconsciously. Well, as a result of that and the way that other part, ways God made us, we all have opinions on what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is desirable and undesirable. And so here are some general principles that come from the Bible and from this chapter in particular. First one. Don't assume that your view or your opinion is the only right one. For example, you have several people at work and you're trying to solve a problem. One person, as they speak to the group about the problem, might be focusing just on the technical issues. Another person, as they're speaking, they're focused on the people that are involved. And a third person is thinking about the company's policies and how they fit and, and influence what you should be doing. So to ask the question, is each one of them right or wrong, is actually asking the wrong question. Each of them has a piece. We should also recognize that as human beings, we are limited. We don't see the entire picture, only God does. So as we think of our own view of something or opinion, we shouldn't think it's the only right one. Point number two is connected to it. Don't look down on 
people that have a different opinion or condemn them or despise them. And as I was working on the sermon, this question occurred to me as I thought about this point right here. Today, why is there such a high level of intolerance in Western culture when tolerance is so highly commended? Why is there so much intolerance of other people that differ? And I think it has to do with Western culture's view of identity, which tells us you choose who you are. You look inside yourself. You don't let anybody else tell you who you should be. You decide who you are. And then what's expected is that everybody else will celebrate your choice, what you've done. Well, as it turns out, our opinions are so closely tied with our identity in this culture that if you disagree with me, that's the same as you rejecting me. And then the result, I'm going to make sure you know I don't like that. You should be agreeing with me. Well, for most of history, identity was based differently. And so we used to be able to have civil disagreements. We used to be able to agree to disagree without having a power struggle to declare I am right and so everybody else that is, you know, has a different opinion is wrong. Now we move on number three to kind of the positive side. Accept and bear with those who have a different opinion. We can have unity without having uniformity. We can get along with each other. The next one's tied to, to the third. Pursue those things that lead to peace and mutual encouragement. Don't just focus on the differences. Recognize that we all have things in common. And remember that winning isn't everything. God is calling us to, to be at peace and to recognize that there are differences and to value those differences as well. So those were in your notes with the service supplement. Let me share a couple of others. We're told in these verses and in other places in, this, in the Bible that we're all going to give an account for ourselves to God. And when we do, that's going to include, we're going to have to give an account for how it is that we interact with others. So contrary to, to popular opinion, we don't set our own standard. God sets our standard. And we saw last week, he gives us his standard in his law, and it turns out his law shows us how we can love each other. Another point, don't put a stumbling block or a hindrance in anybody's way. Don't deliberately irritate them. And I don't know about you, but certainly there are times when I am tempted to do this when I disagree with somebody, especially when I disagree strongly with somebody else. Now, most of these then are having to do with us pointing to others. Did we just lose something? Okay. All right, we just had a little hiccup. So the last point is, is kind of switching direction. On the other hand, don't let what you believe be spoken of as evil. Sometimes when people disagree, one will attack the other person's position and possibly attack the other person. And when you attack the other person, what you're doing is you're saying, look, your opinion is invalid because you are flawed. I shouldn't even have to listen to you and your opinion for what you're saying. Sometimes that can be done to us. And so the point is, don't let what you believe be spoken of as evil. So these are kind of general principles that we get from the Scripture. And you can see how it is they all have to do with dealing with people where, where you have differences of opinion and differences of belief. 
They apply to general situations. They also apply to all the biblical differences. So let's look at that. And let me begin by talking about the issues that are in our verses. And those two are food offered to idols and observances of days. These are both religious issues. Let me talk about the food first. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. There are both Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. For the Gentile Christians, very likely an issue that they could have would be the food offered to idols at temples. And a little background will help us here. The Roman world had dozens of religions. And each of those religions had their own gods and they had their own temples and they had their own priests. And the Roman world in one sense was very tolerant. They allowed all these different gods and everything as long as you respected and honored other people's gods. Now here's a little side note as to why it is that Christianity stood out so much and why Christians were not liked. Because when you became a Christian, you were told and you were taught that the Bible tells us there is only one true God. All these other gods that are in the temples and being worshipped, those are false gods. And you're not allowed to worship them. Well, what happened in that day, from best we can tell, from looking at history and documents and other things, is that um, each city would pick a god out of all that collection of gods to be their god. Each guild, which would be like a professional group, would pick a god. Every household would pick a god, and you'd have a little statue. And so, for example, if you were invited over to a friend's house, you came in, you'd take a little pinch of incense, and you'd worship their god. You'd show respect to it. You became a Christian, you couldn't do that anymore. If you were a Christian and you were a slave or a servant working in a house, you couldn't show respect to the household God anymore like that. So you can see where there would be problems. Well, back then, not only was it just the little statues in places, but they had the temples. And when you went to the temple, sometimes you give money. You might buy some of those little statues to put in your house or in your work. And you, you would make animal sacrifices. Now, when they sacrificed those animals, they would kill it and they would burn it, but not all of it. Typically, it would be a small portion, you could call it a memorial portion, was burned. Some of the meat was left for the people that worked at the temple, provided them food, and the rest of it was sold in the marketplace. The temple sold it and made money. It helped to provide for them. And everybody knew that the meat that was sold in that way had been offered to some God in a temple. So you can imagine a Gentile Christian that comes out of that worship of multiple gods. They've grown up with that practice of doing the incense and honoring all the various gods that they encounter. And now they've come to the conviction there's only one true God and all these other ones are false and they're not worshiping them. But they had also participated in the animal sacrifice. And for some of those Gentile Christians, they might struggle with their conscience with the idea of eating food that had been offered to one of those idols just because of their history, because of what they had, had done, how they had lived. Now, the Jewish Christians had a different issue. They'd been taught from the very beginning there's only one true God. But they'd also been taught from, for generations that there is clean food and unclean food. So they've grown up with generations of eating kosher. And now they're being told... Jesus has declared all things clean, all foods clean. 
Not only did Jesus say that, but you also see that picture in, in Acts where God prepares Peter to go talk to the Roman centurion Cornelius. Peter is at a friend's house and he's waiting for lunch to be served and he kind of goes into this little dream and this sheet comes down, Lord from heaven, and there's all kinds of food, animals, both clean and unclean. And he hears God say, pick one and eat, Peter. And he says, I can't eat those unclean animals. And God says, don't. Don't call unclean what I've presented to you. And that happens three times. So the message is clear. Jesus has declared all foods clean. God has declared all foods clean. But if, if you were a Jewish Christian then and you'd grown up eating kosher and, and being very careful about clean and unclean, and all of a sudden somebody offers you a pork barbecue sandwich, it could be a problem. So that's food. What about days and religious observance of days? Well, I didn't go back to double check, but I'm pretty sure the Gentile, Gentiles with their various religions had special holy days. But certainly we know that the Jews did. That they had holy days and they had feasts. And we've actually talked about those a little bit um, a few months ago in our sermon series. And what we've seen is that all those Old Testament holy days and feasts were pointing to Jesus. And again, if you were a Jew, you had, would have been observing these for generations. And now you have Gentile Christians who didn't grow up with that tradition or other Jews who understand now those were pointing to Jesus. He's come. And so we don't, we don't need them in the same way. And you certainly don't see in the New Testament God stay, saying that the Old Testament worship continues as it has, as it had, for New Testament Christians. It's not there. So food and observance of days. Those differences are not issues for us today. Well, let me give you a few examples of things that are differences um, with, within Christians, uh, Christianity today. One is baptism. First, the mode. How do you baptize? Do you baptize by immersing or by pouring and sprinkling? Our denomination, the, the Presbyterian Church in America, says all three are acceptable, but they prefer the sprinkling and pouring. Other Christian denominations and churches say, no, the only valid baptism is immersion. But then, now here's a part where we all agree. If an older child or an adult makes their own profession of faith to the church, that is, they say, I've come to the place to, and, and believe that I have sinned against God, I rebelled against Him, that I deserve punishment, that Jesus died for me, and that He offers forgiveness, and I'm accepting that forgiveness, and not only that, but I recognize that if I try to run my life, I am messing it up bad and turning away from God, so I want Jesus to run my life. They make that kind of statement, and they've never been baptized. We all agree they're going to be baptized by whatever means. Where we differ, another place we differ, though, is in some churches and denominations like ours, we baptize infants, the, the, the infant children of believing parents, and other churches do not. Another point of difference, worship style for corporate worship, and, and tip, sometimes, and I've read of this being called this, worship wars within the church. Should the worship style be traditional or should it be modern? I don't know how many know this, but usually when you think of traditional, you're thinking of hymns. Well, a few hundred years ago, 
Hymns were the new radical thing on the block. That it was a question, should we accept hymns? Because they're so different from what we do now. So this really, in that sense, isn't anything new. But that's another difference. Or music instruments. In some churches, the only valid instrument for music is your voice. In some churches and denominations, it is the piano and the organ, and that is it. And then for others, they say a praise band is great. And then one last one, and that is drinking alcohol. Now, the command, don't be drunk, that's very clear. But the question is, do you drink any alcohol at all or not? That's another difference among Christians. And as we look at these differences, you have to consider the background and the experiences of a person. For example, a person, a person that grew up in the Christian church is most likely to be comfortable with the worship style they grew up with, whether that was traditional or modern. A person who did not grow up in the Christian church might have things in their background that conflict with the Christian faith, and they're sensitive to it. Let me give you just kind of a hypothetical. A person who grew up not in the Christian faith was very, say, for example, heavy into a particular style of music, and for them, they have associated that music with their own rebellion against God. And once they become a Christian, they want nothing to do with it. There's something in their past, and they're sensitive to that, and they want to avoid it. Well, let me give you a modern, uh, a, a true example, one that I heard a couple of years ago from missionaries from the Caribbean. They were working on a Caribbean island, and they had people coming, uh, becoming Christians, they were becoming Christians out of voodoo worship. And what they found very quickly as they were starting churches was that many of these Christians had a problem having drums in the worship service. It wasn't that they didn't like praise band kind of stuff. It was the drums in particular because in voodoo worship, the drums were used to summon the spirits. And they've rejected all that now. And some of them were okay with having drums, but many were not. It was just too close to what they had been, the way they had been living before. And so you have to consider not only the conscience of the other person, but also what are their temptations. Something that might not be a temptation for you might be for somebody else. Now we come to the two words that I avoided and why it is that I chose the message. And those two words are weak and strong, and you see those words in most translations in chapters 14 and 15 of Romans. Now, it's pretty clear that the idea of weak is not desirable to us. You know, if somebody were to say, well, raise your hand if you want to be weak, okay, nobody's going to raise their hand. We would raise our hand if we, want, if we said, if you want to be strong, okay, we like the idea of strong, but recognize the idea of being strong can also lead to pride. But here's Another thing, and I'm going to get to the application, and you'll see how these words fit. These two words don't necessarily apply to all biblical differences. When, we, when you talk about the food and the, the observance of days that you see in Romans 14, yes, it's going to apply. It's not going to apply the same way. That idea is not there when you talk about differences about baptism. Okay, so here's, here's strong and weak, and I'm going to start with the word strong. In, in Romans 14 and 15, here's the idea of strong. A person is strong when they grasp the significance of Jesus' death and his teaching for daily living. The person who's weak doesn't grasp it 
or doesn't grasp it to the same degree. So here's the example. Jesus declared all food clean. The strong person is the, is in the context of these verses, is the one that says, okay, got it. All food is clean. I can eat food offered to idols. I can eat unclean food. All that meat, I can eat it. It's not a problem. The weak person, their conscience isn't there yet. Okay, They're still troubled because of their own history, their own, their own beliefs. They're just not there. Okay, so I hope you can see a little bit why it is that I wanted to avoid those words at the very beginning. I wanted you to get the idea that there are differences of belief and differences of opinion, and they can be valid differences, and it isn't a matter of weak and strong, if you, some people might call it immature and mature. It's not always that case. But here are two things that I want you to see about this idea of weak and strong. Both the weak person, and I put that in quotes, and the strong person in Romans 14 and 15, they're Christians. They both are. And then secondly, God allows us to be on a spectrum for various issues and beliefs. That spectrum might be weak to strong, but it might just be differences like baptism. Is immersion the only way you can baptize or the other ways is va are valid? That's a difference of opinion. That's not a matter of weak and strong. But also recognize this. A Christian that Paul was writing to in Rome might have said, you know what? I'm fine with the, with the, the days. You know, consider basically every, every, any, any day the same. But I have an issue with the meat. And right next to them might be another Christian who says, hey, I'm fine with the meat. I can eat any kind, not a problem, but I still think I really ought to observe these particular special days. And here are these two Christians side by side with these situations. Then Paul goes on in verse 6, and he talks about our motivation. He says, what is your motivation? As, as you are eating the meat, as you're abstaining from the meat, are you doing it to honor God? And then he goes on to say, remember this, you and I don't live to ourselves. We don't make our own rules. But there, there's danger that we can have in either saying, yes, I can eat the meat, or no, I shouldn't. And that can be a form of pride. Well, I'm, I'm, I gain merit with God. God likes me more because I am strong and I can eat the meat. Or we can also turn it around and say, you know what? God likes me more because I am so careful and I am not eating the meat. Either one of those is a form of pride, and God hates pride. Then he goes on to say, remember that every Christian is God's servant, so we're not answering to each other. Ultimately, we're going to answer to God. And then I'm going to bring in again what I said from the first part. Don't let what you believe be spoken of as evil, but let me add this. Also hold your beliefs humbly, and ask God to teach you. Because can we change our beliefs? The answer is yes, we can. In fact, in one sense, we should be as we're growing and maturing. We might believe one thing as we first come into the Christian faith, one set of things, where we've not unconsciously been pulling other thoughts from our experience and background. Our, our, our beliefs can change. But our guide and our standard is God's word. 
that we follow him. Another one, I talked about don't put a stumbling block or a hindrance in other people's way. If you do, you're acting in pride. You are not loving the other person when you act, you know, try to make things difficult for them. Paul put it this way. He said, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of your opinion, for the sake of your pet idea. When he says don't tear down the work of God, the work of God is the rescue and the transformation of people. So are you going to put yourself between God and these people that he's trying to rescue? And say, I, I'm here, and, and what I say is more important. <laughs> That's a dangerous place to be. Okay, and Paul says, don't be there. Don't do that. Then he talks about one other piece. Well, I'll get to that in just a second. You know, I've been talking kind of in principle about these, these ways that we love others that we disagree with. But if you think about it, you'll see that loving others this way requires us to be aware of the people around us. It requires us to know them well enough so that we're not putting that stumbling block in front of them deliberately, knowingly. We might end up with another situation which Paul addresses at the end. And that is that, uh, for example, in Rome, in that situation with the church he's talking about, you might have one Christian who says, you know, I can't in good conscience eat that meat, but they see another Christian in the church they look up to. Oh, but he's eating it, so it must be okay. And so this Christian decides they're going to go ahead and eat the meat, even though they're, they're, they're not comfortable and their conscience isn't clear, and they go contrary to their conscience. And what Paul says is this, whatever is not of faith is sin. You as a Christian should, be, should have an inner conviction that what you're doing, he, you're doing is in line with your Christian faith. And if you're acting contrary to what you believe is right, then it's sin. I said before that beliefs and convictions can change. So you, you follow your conscience, you ask God to direct and to shape your conscience, because again, as human beings, we can mess up anything good that God has given us, including our conscience, and we can twist it. So if, if we're informing our conscience and shaping it by God's word and by good Bible teaching, what we may find is that our convictions sometimes can change. And I'll give you an example. I did not grow up, and I know I've heard of many others that did not grow up in a church that, that practiced the baptism of infants. But as an adult, as I began to look into it, and I've heard this from many others as well, again, as they've listened to teaching, as they've read the Bible and studied it, as they've prayed, they ended up shifting to the place where they say, yes, I agree that infants should be baptized. Now, others may be at that position, no, I don't think it is right, and as they study and pray, they stay where they're at. Okay, they don't shift. But can our convictions and beliefs change? The answer is yes. So if you want to kind of summarize what Paul is saying here in these verses, as he says, you and I are to love each other. We're to consider others more important than ourselves. So if you know that there is somebody who has a, a, a difference of opinion and they have an issue of conscience, what he directs us to do is not to compromise our beliefs, but to voluntarily limit ourselves as we're dealing with that person so that we're not knowingly making things difficult for them. 
and offending them. And <clears throat> when we do all of these things with people we disagree with, when we bear with others that have a difference, when we don't put the stumbling block, when we uh, look out for them and voluntarily limit ourselves, all of these things that we've talked about that, are, that you see in chapter 14, when we do this with people we disagree with, we're showing the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you loved us first. And as we sang today in the song that is so beautiful, we can't find the end of your love. And if we were to start writing about all the ways that you have loved us, we would run and use the ocean, we'd run out of ink. We use the sky as the parchment, we would fill it up, and we still wouldn't have found the end. You love us this way, and then you call us to copy you and to love others. So we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name.